Welcome to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit, the podcast that dissects Who Framed Roger Rabbit, one minute at a time, with special guest, Scott Carelli. Welcome, everybody, to Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. I am Chris Blair, and I am here with, as always, Annie McMullen. Hello. And joining us today, the godfather of dueling genre himself, the one and only Scott Corelli. Hi, I am very excited to be here and talking about this, uh, this wonderful movie. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. Back to the Future Minute was the first of the Movies by Minutes podcast that I had listened to. Um, so you're essentially synonymous with this whole format for me. Uh, that's so uh, that's so interesting to hear. Um, I hear I hear that sometimes, and it's always it's always weird because Star Wars Minute is where it came from for me, and so I I always just think of them as being synonymous. So it's it's so interesting hearing people think that about me, but I guess I did, I was the third one out. So, um, you know. Yeah, <laughs> one, of, one of the OGs. Yeah. So one thing I'm just asking everybody is, what is your relationship with the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, I would say I grew up with it. Uh, I think I, I'm actually positive. I saw it before I saw Back to the Future, actually. Uh, because it had like cartoon characters and things like that in it. I think my dad thought um, it was more appropriate to me than a, than a movie where a mom tries to have sex with her, with her son. Uh, yeah, <laughs> parents with all their rules, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I definitely um, grew up with this. I do not remember the first time that I saw it, uh, but I just remember that you know, just the idea of combining, like, you know, treating cartoon characters like they're real living creatures and, you know, a world where they walk around like they're real actors um, was, I don't know, I think it, I think it definitely ignited something in my brain um, as an impressionable uh, child. Um, and I remember, too, the judge being one of the terrifi- most terrifying characters uh, I had ever seen in a movie up to that point and the death of the shoe being the saddest thing I had ever seen in anything yeah um, at that point yeah totally uh, yeah so, I still have trouble watching yeah. the shoe scene oh yeah yeah and you're gonna have to analyze it a minute at a time <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that I think it's definitely it's a theme that we've heard that uh parents nobody really knew what to make of this movie and people were really confused about whether or not it's a kids movie or an adult movie and uh, it's pretty funny because whatever the reason like they didn't want you to watch you know back to the future was or like any other adult like any concerns that the parents would have about an adult movie like this movie definitely has that oh yeah <laughs> like, like, it's got all of it what do you want you want violence you want shoe death you yeah. want monsters <laughs> you want giant boobs like all of it it's all there yeah, I think from my parents' perspective, it was less a content thing and more of just like a mental maturity thing of like, he's not even going to understand what this Back to the Future movie is, really. He's too young. And then, but at least with Roger Rabbit, he's not going to know what any of this is either. But at least it has cartoon characters doing funny things that he can, you know, absorb and we can shut him up for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 
marketed a lot like a kids movie because um, mm-hmm. the trailers have a lot of the cartoon characters in them. Like, I, I don't think there's any way to tell just from that how adult this movie really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we are analyzing minute 10 this week, which begins with Eddie continuing down the stairs and ends with him being turned down for a bus ride. So we continue this tour that we left last time where where Eddie's just kind of leaving the studio and he's encountering all sorts of tunes. We first see the Fantasia ones. Uh, We see the Fantasia brooms dancing, um, which is, I thought, always just a really cool touch in in the movie because we've seen Dumbo and now we're getting to see like more Disney animated movies. I have, I have questions about these brooms <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, what are your one, questions? The, the brooms are holding brooms sweeping, right? So oh, there's, yeah, there's that conundrum. <laughs> uh, but also there's a man playing saxophone mm-hmm. right next to them. And you know, we already, we've established throughout minutes one through, you know, nine that tunes are like, you know, basically indentured servants, like they're, they're treated truly terribly. So I know this isn't a job perk. Like, do they require the saxophone man to work? Is this the way they're like, you know, is it, are they being like Pied Pipered to sweep this like weird trash out of the studio lot? Like what's happening here? Because there's just this man just like vibing on a saxophone while these brooms are, are dance pushing other brooms. I, I think it's that cartoons have like rules that they have no choice but to follow, like the shave and the haircut thing that comes later, where, where it's just like they, they can't help themselves. And I feel like that's the case with the brooms. And so I like to think that this guy is a janitor, but he <laughs> he's a musician. And so they hire a musician to be the janitor and they're like, all you have to do is play saxophone for the cartoon brooms and they'll clean up whatever you need to clean up, you know? Is there a, is there a darker version of this scene with like slightly different audio or maybe like close-ups of broom faces where they're just like sobbing, like, please make it stop. Please, please make the music stop. <laughs> well, we do learn from Fantasia that they're created by Mickey's witchcraft. So... I do wonder, like, what are these rules when these cartoons are being created? Because are, are they just told, okay, you've got this one job to do, and that's that's it. You, you've got this role in this movie, and now you're just condemned to be that for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's the, the entire, I mean, the one thing that you have to, like, kind of just ignore is, is the fact that, like, they are actors, and so, like, were they created by Mickey? Or was that just a role they played in a movie called Fantasia with the actor Mickey Mouse? And where do these cartoons come from? Did somebody draw them originally and brought them to life? Or did they always exist in this Toontown place and they were just discovered um, and then brought in to make movies? And also, it doesn't appear that anyone any any tunes have any other real jobs outside of being actors i mean these guys are sweeping but also they're they're you know anthropomorphic brooms who don't have faces so i don't think they're getting a lot of acting jobs 
um, just in general. I don't know that there's a, a big demand for that. In, we in we know later that you know Betty Boop is waiting tables. Yeah. So they do also right. they they're clearly not being compensated fairly for their acting work. She <laughs> she's a pretty big star. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So like I you know is that a case where she isn't in movies anymore? She's outdated. So now she has left movie stardom and but doesn't want to go back to Toontown. So she's like taking a job as a waitress, you know, in a bar. Um, but is that yeah, is that everybody? Is that the case with everyone? Is it are they all just failed actors or failed performers um, that have these other jobs? But like when they come out of Toontown, that's the only thing that they do, or they become entertainers. Yeah, like is there is there zero aspiration to do yeah. anything besides entertainment? Right. Because like, I does get... a tune come out of Toontown is like I really want to be an accountant. <laughs> but maybe inside Toontown itself, and it might just be harder for the, them to get a job in the normal world because of the way that tunes function. Because right. anytime they hear the first part of shaving a haircut, um, they're going to have to respond. They're going to have to do everything in a funny sort of way. So that's just not going to work with like being a like might, a taxi look, driver. It might jazz up accounting. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I can't say accounting doesn't need that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's paper flying everywhere, but the numbers are always accurate. So, you know. <laughs> well, that's, it's, it's like a perfect segue because the very next thing that we see come through the, the brooms is this Pelican mailman. So right. he has the job. But uh, one note about him is that he's very clearly on psychedelic drugs. <laughs> like that is, he has like rainbow swirls in his eyes and he's like, oh. oh let me check this out. <laughs> He does. Yeah. This guy is tripping balls. <laughs> and who's the fish in his mouth? What's his story? Is he is he hitching a ride? Uh, or he or is he escaping? Yeah. 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 Is he is the pelican like making that face because his lunch just crawled out of his stomach and came back out of his mouth. I don't know. Have you ever seen a real pelican? Because there's nothing goofy about those things are like apex yeah. predators. They, yeah. they will mouth the dog and yeah. just like not let it out. Like they're terrifying. They have a look of determination that will scare you deeply. So I don't think he's I don't think he's, I don't think that koi is messing with him at all. Maybe the koi is like a weird fish that you lick and it gets you high. Oh, oh like a frog? Yeah. 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 This makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, my question is, what happens if he does successfully eat the fish? Because we know a tune cannot die unless it goes in dip. Uh, so does it just stay in the pelican? I like. Yeah, I assume so. He like he like builds an apartment in like his <laughs> stomach or something, you know? Yeah, it's a very like monsto and Pinocchio sort of situation. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, maybe they're just like it's like a bosom buddy sort of a situation, <laughs> you know? They just they do adventures together. Yeah. <laughs> or is this a ratatouille situation where the fish is controlling the pelican? And the fish is actually in control. Oh, this is why the pelican can't stay up on this bike. It's yeah, the fish can clearly not see anything. Uh -huh. So the the true story behind the bike is apparently they were not able to keep it like standing up straight. Uh, they even tried using different sorts of wires to keep it uh, straight, and um, they couldn't do it. So eventually, they just had to write in the joke that the pelican crashes the bike. Oh, okay. Well, it works. Yeah. yeah. 
it, it does. It just surprises me out of all the things they were able to do in this movie, that was the trickiest one. The bike got them. Yeah, the bike, <laughs> the bike is what, what they couldn't get past. Yeah, they should have asked uh, the Henson Company how they did it with Kermit. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they really could incorporate it, some more Muppet sort of technology in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we then see one of the hippos from Fantasia, who is apparently named Hyacinth, Hyacinth Hippo. Um, she, I feel like she has some, like, she's very, she has some big roles in things. Like, I, I don't know if she's only in Fantasia, but I remember her like distinctly from yeah. stuff as a as a kid and my first thought after re, upon re-watching you know was like oh yay it's finally like a woman who's like a female character who's like feminine and kind of sweet and like in a larger body you know and like not because we've we talked about you know um a couple of things previously and like how how the way we look at bodies now versus the way we looked at them in 1988 um has changed so dramatically and I was like yeah you know, yay, look, she's like a pretty feminine, like, person, or well, hippo, in a larger body, right? And then we immediately go to the next scene, and it's ruined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, nope, nope, it's 1988 again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she sits, she sits down on a bench in the next scene, and the man flies into, uh, the man uh, sitting aside from her flies into what is apparently space. <laughs> yeah you know it's like just a really cheap like fat joke yeah, yeah. He, he does not come back down <laughs> no he's gone <laughs> yeah it, it, it does uh, pose some interesting questions about like what what a cartoon would feel like like how does it have weight and if you touched one like what would it would it feel like paper or like what oh is yeah it? like what's the texture yeah of what's a cartoon the yeah yeah, yeah. That's a great question. We haven't, yeah. we haven't talked about we, that. We have not explored that. I like in my head, it's like kind of staticky, like touching a, a TV screen, but like, oh. really? Yeah. That's not, I was thinking it was, it's kind of um, like a, like an extraordinarily firm jello. Oh, interesting. <laughs> got a little oh. slip and it's not moist, right? But it's got, but it's smooth enough. Cause like, cause to me, like a defining characteristic of like animation is that it's incredibly smooth right uh -huh. like you know hair is difficult and, and all that stuff so I feel like it would have sort of like a silicone like rubbery yeah you know mm -hmm. jiggle <laughs> <laughs> yeah well well we'll have to ask Gary next time he's on what what it's supposed to feel like to touch a cartoon character I don't know if, you know, maybe Gary doesn't have that written down because, but uh, I'm sure there's some fanfic about it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we get the joke that I had not noticed before I started watching this one minute at a time. And that is, it says cattle call uh, mm -hmm. right by where the uh, cows are auditioning. <laughs> to play cows. <laughs> um, and my favorite thing about this joke is that like that's a funny joke but the funnier joke is that there's two guys also in line for the cattle call yeah. <laughs> human men yeah. yeah just human men also auditioning for <laughs> Ooh, yeah yeah uh, do you think that they are showed up to the wrong audition or do you think they're just trying to break down the some sort of barrier here by uh showing up to this um knowing a lot of actors and dealing with a lot of actors in my work 
it I would say it is it is definitely the latter. They're they they're like, no, I'm a good enough actor. I'm gonna get this role. It's like you're <laughs> you're just not like you're just you can't. <laughs> it is nice that they're white dudes too, because I yeah, don't yeah. I don't think there's a, a like an other very many other categories of people who would make that claim. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we get to see a couple of their cartoon characters. I am pretty sure I'd enlarge it that that is Bugs Bunny that we see walking by at some point. There's, and there's a bunch of old black and white cartoons in here mm-hmm. that I don't know who they are, but it definitely like, we're still in the, very much in the world building. And I feel like these three, or, well, sorry, this minute in particular is very like world world building-y. Um, and I, I think we start to see that like tunes don't die, right? Cause there, there is very old ones with, you know, what are supposed to be the newest ones at this time. The most notable one is Coco the Clown created by David Max Fleischer. Coco the Clown, you know, you can see the little black and white clown walking across the streets. He is notable because he was one of the original big cartoon characters from the 1920s out of the Inkwell series, a huge inspiration to Walt Disney and his early animation. And pretty much the same thing as Roger Rabbit. He was a cartoon character that interacted with real people. Uh, He was actually... I forgot if it was Dave or Max Fleischer, but it was one of them dressed up as a clown and they rotoscoped him, just basically traced that brother uh, to make the clown look realistic. Oftentimes he would then pull Max Fleischer into his weird cartoon world. Um, so that uh, clown is uh, is creepy. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. Yeah, that is not a clown you want dragging you into his world (laughs) (laughs) even for the 1920s where he was created like he looks creepy compared to all other cartoon characters there we also get to see uh the tortoise from the tortoise and the hare cartoon here and we get to see um get our first canceled cartoon character brer bear uh walking down the street yeah from song of the south um or I think more notably uh, from Splash Mountain. Yeah, the much, much more pleasant memories of Brer Bear. <laughs> more notably for people that are alive now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, we get to see a little brief cameo of him walking down the street. Kind of cool to see like all these Disney characters mixing with all these other cartoon characters. Our first instance of getting to see all these different IPs collide. And we then have Eddie come up to the uh to the trolley and try to get on by showing his check now i still am not quite sure what eddie thinks is going to happen when he does this i i don't know i i think i just thought like i i don't know like hey look like i'm good for it like see the money like i'll I'll pay you, uh, speaking of Popeye, I'll pay you next Tuesday for a hamburger today. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I assume that's what his thought process was, um, which, you know, he gets a, a free ride anyway. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out next well, Yeah, time. why would he even, tr- like, why would he even try just to be I, like, I'm an upstanding guy? Yeah. <laughs> like, when yeah. we figure out his solution, where he, like, feels like he should have done that in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of get that, like, 
that's what he usually does. And he's like, I have money. I'm going to ride the trolley like an adult right now. And then he's like, all right, plan B. I guess I'm going back to this. The, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know what you call the the guy. I don't know if it on this trolley situation, it's a conductor or a ticket man or but captain i don't know i don't know what the terminology is but he has one of those little coin dispenser things on his belt have you ever seen this like is it just me because i'm old and like i had one of these when i was a kid i don't know why i think my dad just was into like weird mechanical things but it was the coolest thing it's this metal it has metal tubes with different so like there's one slot that pennies fit in one slot that nickels dimes quarters fit in and you push a little thing and like one comes out right so it's yeah. for him to like easily make change and then you can also just jam them in the top when you get change and like I, I'm gonna sound like the oldest uh I'm gonna sound like my grandmother but like you know we don't make a lot of like mechanical things anymore everything's electronic and uh I don't know I've always just been really fascinated by sort of like Rube Goldberg-y mechanical you know things that are just sort of the ingenuity of of unique mechanical things and that little his his belt change dispenser really gets me <laughs> yeah it's like an upside down pez dispenser and metal yeah yeah it's it's a great detail um just seeing the entire street and we get a little more of that next week too it's like has such a good way of putting you into the 40s too i really that's one of my favorite things about like movies that take place in the beginning half of that century is just seeing the attention to like the architecture and the cars and the costumes and all that. Uh, correction, I'm an idiot. His hat literally says conductor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other good thing about about uh, movies that, you know, take place in a different era is that they never they never feel dated, you know? Like this movie feels like it could have been made like yesterday. Um, it doesn't feel really dated at all. I mean, there's a few like social politics things that are dated, but also would have been dated in the 40s. So, you know, I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. But in general, like this does not look like a movie from 87, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Especially the animation is like what might be the, the thing that that gives it any sort of dated feel just the fact of how awesome it is because like the temptation to do it all cg now i i imagine it would be impossible to resist i was gonna say that like the practical effects age so well you know compared to any other technology like because technology just changes so rapidly and like practical effects just look really real and because they did animate it you know, the way that they did all the effects are practical, which I think makes it pretty awesome. Yeah, they just did the CGI combo in that new Space Jam movie and it was awful. I mean, it wasn't yeah. the only reason that movie yeah, was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or um, Cats live, that was, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. that yeah. broke me. Horrifying. <laughs> yeah. That broke yeah. America. Uh. <laughs> I do have to say that um, because, did it come out? It didn't come out during the pandemic, right? It was before. No, no, it was the one of the last movies released before the pandemic. Yeah. I think it started the virus. I I got so much joy out of reading reviews and articles about mm-hmm. it. Like, I mean, I did also go to see it and I it broke my brain. I had a lot of comments and I always made sure to say, like, I don't want you to confuse my enthusiasm for how terrible this was with it being interesting. Because it's also, in addition to being completely insane, very boring. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. A really unique film that way. <laughs> well, one might argue that cats never would have existed if not for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, uh, the butterfly effect. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, what is your MVP of this minute? Yeah. So, my MVP of this minute, it's, um, it's got to be, uh, our pelican friend and you know we're unclear about whether or not that includes the koi whether or not it's a it's a puppet master situation but it's those two uh for a couple of reasons one he he carries the the scene from from one space to another he adds a lot of like background ambience by making mail fly around everywhere he just i think he's sort of like the peak wacky that says like this is what tunes are uh and you know hey Cool for him for being like just tripping in the middle of a work day, right? Good job, bud. <laughs> what you got to do when you're a when you're a cartoon pelican in the real world? Delivering mail. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Dueling Shanra and Scott Corelli for hosting us. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you should check out Dueling Genre. They have so many more podcasts. Uh, you can check them all out on duelinggenre.com. We will see you on Wednesday for Minute 11 of Who Analyzed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs>